BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. The following podcast is a Dear Media production. Welcome to Raising Good Humans. I'm Dr. Lisa Pressman, and today's episode, I'm speaking with Dr. Lynn Kern Kogel who is an expert in understanding autism and her recent book, Hidden Brilliance, Unlocking the Intelligence of Autism, got me thinking that one of the conversations that's missing is how can those of us who are not necessarily familiar with autism spectrum, but want to be supportive or have family members or have friends who have children with a diagnosis, or they're just curious about how to be more inclusive, but don't know much about it. I thought that was a conversation that we need to have since this particular diagnosis is so broad. So you have such a wide range of what are considered communication disorders, but actually can present as extraordinarily functioning, magnificent, brilliant kids and also kids who really, really, really struggle, have very little capacity for traditional communication. There's just such a wide spectrum and such a misunderstanding about what autism is. And so we tend to avoid the conversation, not want to talk about it, whisper it, possibly avoid friends who are going through the experience of finding out that their child has been given a diagnosis. Why not have the conversation and why not figure out how to best support our community? If you enjoy this episode, please don't hesitate to subscribe, rate, write a little review. And of course, you can always DM me on at Raising Good Humans podcast on Instagram. I really try to get to as many of your questions as possible through articles on my Substack, drlisapressman.substack.com, through topics on the podcast itself. I'm here for you. I won't get to everybody, but I do try to cluster information together to get a sense of what it is that you're interested in hearing about. And hopefully I can get to your exact question and be supportive. And of course, don't forget to subscribe to my premium content exclusively on Apple Podcast. This season is Mindfulness for Busy Parents. So can we start today off with a definition of autism and autism spectrum? Yes, I'm glad you mentioned autism spectrum because it's a huge range But to be diagnosed on the autism spectrum, children have to have social communication differences and they have to have restricted and repetitive behaviors. So with the communication, sometimes 
they won't talk at the expected milestones. Other children will echo things that you say. It's called echolalia. So they'll echo things that you say, which sometimes parents think, oh, well, my child is brilliant. They're saying the ABCs or saying nursery rhymes, but they're not using communication in a social way. And then on the, the children that have pretty good communication development often don't use it socially. So they might be able to make sentences and things, but they don't want to talk to very many other people. They're kind of happy on their own. And then the second part with the restricted and repetitive interests is this is a range. Sometimes children will take a truck and spin the wheel upside down for hours and hours or watch a ceiling fan go around or something similar to that where they're just doing the same behavior over and over. And then for the children who develop communication a little bit, a lot of times they'll get really interested in a specific topic. Like I have a little guy right now who loves drains and he knows everything about drains. I've had kids that know everything about the asphalt and what it's made of, or children that are really interested in toilets and how they hang on the wall or sit on the floor or things like that, that maybe isn't what children that age are always interested in. So that's a little bit of a nutshell of the diagnosis. It's still behavioral. There's no blood test or genetic test. It's still kind of just looking and seeing if those characteristics, which we all have a little bit of, but if they're interfering with everyday behaviors. So I think that that's really key because a lot of the behaviors that you described, parents, particularly of toddlers, less so with older kids, but particularly with younger kids, sometimes there's we see those things all the time. They're very typical and distinguishing those features and figuring out what what's going on. How do you find that parents might seeking support or, or how can they know whether or not they're looking for a problem, seeing this as a problem, or looking for an understanding, or maybe just kind of misunderstanding what is typical development? That was a lot of questions. That is, that's a great question though. A lot of most parents first realize there might be, or I should say most parents seek professional consultation when they notice there's a communication difference. And when you ask them, they say, well, I did notice something before they started or didn't start talking. I noticed something in the first year of life was a little not like my other children or not like my friend's children's children, but Children are so, babies are so different in temperament. So it is difficult to tell sometimes with a child that just may have a little bit of a different temperament than another. So it, it is hard to tell when they're really little, although we're getting a little bit better about noticing maybe there's not a lot of eye contact or they're not babbling too much. They're super quiet or maybe they cry too much or too little. or they're, So there's a lot of things that we're able to kind of look at early on and we're getting better at that. But most parents bring their kids in to seek help when they notice that they're maybe not saying words around 18 months or and usually by two years, they're starting to combine words. So they're not really meeting those milestones. That's really when parents bring them in the most, most frequently for that reason. And how can you distinguish between having relational difficulties or challenges and this wide spectrum? That's a good point. So the relational challenges are really 
a lot of times you'll see that they're not pointing to things that they to show their parents during that second year of life, or they might not be looking back and forth between an object and their parents. So they may be very interested in an object, but they're not doing it in a social way. So we see some little things like that early on that they're not really sharing some of those social moments that you see with children who don't have, develop autism. So those are early signs. And then of course, as I mentioned, when they're not usually children around 12, 14 months, boys are usually a little bit later in their first words, but they're not saying those first words. And when they do say words, it might not be mama, dada, or doggy or something like that. It might be something more like eat or something drink or something that's, or some toy that they want. So it's usually more items that they want when they start talking rather than names of family members. And so for the, the, because there's this wide range, you have kids who have a diagnosis, who have no communication skills that we're used to, no verbal communication skills that we think of, but you have all the way to kids who you might not even know anything is diverse or divergent in their experiences but actually they are on this autism spectrum. How can we understand that a little bit? Just because I think people think of autism as just this like one thing and helping people understand. And that way we can also help understand how we can support our children who might not know how to communicate with kids who are more neurodivergent or parents who don't know how to explain it to their neurotypical kids. I'm sort of interested in not thinking of this so much as like other anymore, but really helping families and communities understand and engage with everybody in a way that makes sense. There just seems like there's this kind of fear around autism. Yes. And I think that's unfortunate because as we mentioned in our book, there's so many strengths these kids have. And And even when there is that fear, people might give up and say, oh, it's not worth putting in all this effort and things like that, when they really have a a lot of potential. And it's better in the long run to put in the most into kids because it's going to help us all if people are productive, working members of society. So I think that's an important point. And I think we see early on that because of some of the behaviors, like maybe communication doesn't develop, so they use those earlier behaviors like crying when they're upset because that's all they have to communicate or, and maybe they work really well. So they, you know, keep tending to use those and the, and because they're not always as social as other children, because they have this social communication difficulty, the parents often don't take them as many places and they feel like their social circle is just getting smaller and smaller when that's exactly what we don't want. We want their social circle to get bigger and bigger so they have a lot of opportunities to interact and to learn from those interactions and be prompted to interact. And I I feel like that's part of as the larger society, we're not always coming together and saying, oh, let's invite this little guy because he needs to have some more friends or needs some work on friendships. So I think we as a society don't always pull together and support families of children with disabilities. And it makes the families feel more isolated when we should pull together and really support them. 
And now a quick break so I can tell you about my sponsor, Caraway. Caraway has the most high quality ceramic coated kitchenware. It's free of just all the crap like Teflon, lead, cadmium, and other toxic materials. Caraway kitchenware comes in a variety of chic shades and all sets include complimentary, easy access storage solutions. Ceramics naturally slick surface. Ceramics naturally slick surface means minimal oil or butter for slide off the pan eggs and easy cleaning. And it's just pretty. <laughs> so they're pretty. They make cooking easier. They make cooking healthier. And they're so well rated. People love them. So try it for yourself. I'm not even much of a cook. In fact, if you ask my children, I think we've discussed this before. I'm not considered a cook at all. But I love using my caraway. It feels like at least if I'm going to make something taste meh, it's healthy and I'm having a nice time doing it. So visit carawayhome.com slash humans10 to take advantage of this limited time offer for 10% off your next purchase. This deal is exclusive for our listeners. So visit carawayhome.com slash humans10 or use the code humans10 at checkout. Caraway, non-toxic cookware made modern. Thrive Market is my go-to for groceries and household essentials and the convenience of getting it all quickly shipped to my doorstep. It's a massive time saver. And Thrive Market carries like these awesome brands, obscure and hard to find ones included like Primal Kitchen, but they also have things that are easy to find like Kind Bars. It's a win-win. And as a Thrive Market member, I can save money on every single order. So that means on average, I save about 30% each time. So if I would have spent $100, instead I spend 70. Come on. And on top of the big savings, Thrive Market has deals and pages that change daily, gives me cash back on so many brands, and they have a price match guarantee. But the more appealing thing about it is it's a good time save. I love the filters on their website. So whether you're looking for certified gluten-free snacks, or healthy cleaning essentials, you can curate your own shopping experience with the click of a button. And because I love a company that is thinking about others, when you join Thrive Market, you're also helping a family in need with their one-for-one membership matching program. You join and they give. Come on. How great is that? Join Thrive Market today and get 30% off your first order plus a free $60 gift. Go to thrivemarket.com slash humans for 30% off your first order plus a free $60 gift. That's T-H-R-I-V-E market.com slash humans, thrivemarket.com slash humans. Okay. So if you were talking to a, a child who is, let, let's say a five-year-old, and you were trying to explain that they're going to have a play date with another child who is on the autism spectrum, what would you say as the, as the caregiver or parent right there to help them be the best kind of friend they can be while understanding they're still just five. And it's hard to put five-year-olds in a room, period, let alone try to navigate different kinds of personalities and ways of being in the world. Well, one of the things that I've noticed more often than not is children, and actually this is true for individuals all across the age range up through adulthood, 
are really great if they get some support on how to help. So a lot of times I'll go to preschools and maybe my little guy likes to open the door of a toy house over and over again, but I can pull in the other kids. They love adult attention. I can say, oh, look, at we're opening the door and closing the door and let's talk about hinges and let's talk about how locks work and doorknobs and things like that. So if we can take these interests, even if they're a little repetitive, and get them in a social context, that can be really, really helpful. And even children that are learning their first words, I often go to preschools and they'll, the kids will come up to me and say, what are you doing? And I'll say, oh, I'm teaching Johnny his how to use words. He doesn't have as many words as you have. And the kids are great. They can get right in there and provide opportunities and they do them well. In fact, sometimes better than some of the therapists <laughs> really, really are great supports. And I think if we look at the literature, we really show that these kids that are coming in and really helping, no matter what age range, end up learning a lot and have like better outcomes and more self-confidence. So it's really a great thing to do. And, and I really think that if we did spend more time really working with the peers and helping them learn some of the strategies and support these kids, we probably would have less bullying because a lot of times bullying, they just bully because they don't, they're maybe different and they make fun of them and they think it's funny. Whereas if we, if they really understand that and support them, it's a whole different set of behaviors. Yeah. I mean, that's an entirely other conversation, which is the high prevalence of bullying amongst these kids, which is just so devastating. And so to your point, being able to out of the gate as parents help our kids understand the, the wide range of people they're going to encounter and explain it because sometimes just the confusion is we're so afraid to name something and acknowledge it that we just kind of are like, we'll just avoid this. And then kids just get that sense that, okay, that's a different kind of person. I don't understand it. I'm not in a position to have to understand it and I can't help. So I'm just going to, you know, other this person. So how can you explain the, given the wide range of presentation that a child in this autism spectrum might fall? Was that a sentence? Yes. <laughs> oh, that was a sentence. But given the wide range, how what's a good way to explain what this means, what autism actually means to a young person? I think myself, I've noticed that the simplest thing that kids, well, actually, I shouldn't say little kids, but kids at all ages understand as friends. And since they're having a social communication difficulty, it seems like most of the classes, elementary, middle school, high school, even the little children are very understanding if they say, you know, he kind of spends a lot of time by himself or herself and they're not really having as many friends as you have and how would you feel? And there's kind of some formal ways to do that, but usually they're pretty good at understanding that if you didn't have anybody in your circle of friends, you might feel kind of sad and lonely. And that can be really helpful. I mean, I've gone to middle schools where I've given lectures and talked about a specific student with parent permission, how they, you know, don't have get invited to many after school events or birthday parties or things like that because they have autism and this is what it is. And usually the next day there's a whole group of kids around. So once they really understand it, 
they're really pretty good. And I, I um, even remember going to a high school once because we had a guy that was really bright, but he had some minor social issues and was being relentlessly bullied. And he asked us if we could go to one of his classes. And after we talked to the class, one of the girls came up and said, I feel horrible. I didn't realize he had a disability. I thought, I didn't know why he was, you know, doing some of these behaviors and it changed everything for him. So I think understanding and just really letting the kids know what are, and getting them recruited. We talk in our book about peer mediation. A lot of times the schools where there's a plethora of great potential peers for the kids to play with, they kind of leave them alone at recess. And if they're not bothering anybody and out in the sandbox sifting sand or swinging on the swing or not interacting socially, they just let them go and think, oh, there's various excuses I've heard for doing that. But we really know that from the adults that they've interviewed that are verbal, they the adults with um, that are diagnosed with autism say we really wanted to have friends and we wanted we want to have significant others, and it hurts them and it causes them depression and anxiety not having them so not having friends. So it's really important that we treat social behavior. I think just like we would treat reading or writing or any other subject that if they're having challenges in that area, they need support. And peers are really great at helping out. So let's talk about some of the things people don't even realize are features of an autism diagnosis that actually are kind of extraordinary and things that we might even find we're drawn to. We might even know people who don't have a formal diagnosis because the world has changed its way of understanding this over the years. And so there are plenty of adults who are super high functioning and maybe it's just been either missed or it's not something they share because it doesn't feel like they need to share this. It's still, there's still a stigma, but I would love to talk about all these brilliant capacities because we do tend to. Yeah, that's important what you bring up. I think when I started in the field, it was really rare. I think it was one in every 2,500 children were diagnosed with autism spectrum disorder. And now it's one in 44. So it's hugely in wild. It's yeah, really increased. And I remember when I started in the field, no one knew what it was. It's gotten more known, the terminology. Asperger was a, you know, referred to individuals that had good language development, but maybe had more challenges in the social, usually were intellectually, no issues there. It's no longer exists. So there's no longer, no, nobody as of now is going to be diagnosed with Asperger. So it's more, they've changed the criteria to just be autism spectrum disorder. But I think you bring up a good point that there are a lot of people, we always joke that half the professors at, you know, a campus have autism sure. disorder. Yeah. We get this really narrow field and we know a lot about it and maybe nothing yeah. else. And a lot of actors that say they, you know, were diagnosed with autism that, you know, they're so good at memorizing those lines so quickly. And, and we see a lot of very famous people like Einstein that maybe had, you know, maybe was on the autism spectrum book is most of the kids have some little area that you see that's like, oh my gosh, like it might be something that they can find in a, I had one child one time that was very 
her language was very delayed, but she could pick out little tiny things in a picture or, or trademarks or things like that, that she was interested in. And there seems like the, almost all the kids have some little area that you're like, wow. And finding that and then expanding on that, we can expand on their strengths and even things that they really like. For example, some kids maybe like to turn a light switch on and off and on and off. And you think, oh, that's not very functional. However, they enjoy it so much that if you use it to say, teach them their first words like on or off, and then expand from there, you can really make a lot of progress. So we really not only want to look for any little thing where we see a strength that, I mean, I'm, I was trained as a speech therapist and have a PhD in psychology, and we were never trained to look at, look for strengths. We were always trained to say, what's wrong with them? (laughs) Right. The most important thing, the direction of this whole field, and it's even happening in medicine, but the most important thing and what you capture so well is we all have strengths. We all have strengths. So let's find those strengths and use those strengths instead of looking for what's wrong and forgetting to see the strengths or even worse, seeing these strengths as deficits. Exactly. And and I always give this example that, you know, sometimes when I'm working with a child, they don't really seem too interested and they're having a rough time. But if I look away for a minute, they might grab one of the toys. So we think that they're having social problems, but they're very attuned to what I'm looking at. And when I look away so they can grab a toy without having to, you know, use something communication, which might be hard for them. So socially, that can show that they're very tuned into what another person's doing. So it's also a lot about our flexibility in trying to understand how certain people move in the world, rather than having this one definition of how it all goes down. I That's exactly right. And I think that when we look for strengths, it's also easier, as you mentioned, to look at the other side and what, you know, what is everybody not paying attention to rather than just looking at what they're not doing correctly or accurately. The distinction between personality and autism spectrum is tricky, especially when it's high functioning. That's very true. And that gray area where we all have some of the behaviors and where really we try to look at how much it's interfering. So if it's interfering so much that they can't function as well as we'd like, then we feel like they might need support. But, you know, we probably all have friends I have, you know, that, that function very well with it. And I have a brilliant friend who's a neurologist and he, every time he comes over to our house, he brings something like, it's always something, a conversation starter, like it might be an x-ray of an interesting patient or a book from his last trip. But he always has these little conversation starters, which are amazing. They're really nice because, you know, they're so interesting, but he always has to have those little helpers with him. So I think so he has these adaptive ways of being able to be social in a world that is maybe a little bit more challenging for him. Exactly. The neurodiverse community has been great in really saying Maybe we need to teach the broader society that some of the behaviors like repetitive behaviors, maybe rocking or something like that might not be that big of a deal if people do them. You know, they're not really, if they're not interfering, it doesn't really matter that much. And maybe we should be more accepting. You know, it's unfortunate that 
most adults with autism have trouble securing employment. And we've gotten so narrow in our thinking that if they, you know, some behaviors just aren't acceptable to employers, and maybe we need to really rethink that and educate the broader society and realize, you know, if you hire someone with autism, they'll never be late to work, probably. They'll, you know, they have so many stress, they're hardworking, they're not, you know, they're, that's a little bit of an overgeneralization, but there's so many strengths that they can bring to the workplace that, and I, you know, living up here in Silicon Valley, there's some companies that really like hiring the people with autism because they feel like they bring so many strengths and work so hard and are so smart. So there is kind of that fine line where you're asking, is this something that is interfering? And I have a lot of adults that come to me that I've known since little kids and they'll come and they'll say, you know, I want to have a girlfriend, but I'm not sure why I'm not getting a second date or why I'm not getting a first date. So, and they'll ask me, can you see anything that's going on? And sometimes it might be a simple thing like they're not asking questions. So the other person doesn't, it feels like they're talking a lot, but not asking questions, or maybe they're talking a little bit too little, or maybe we can kind of look and see what's going on. So it's somewhere in there where you feel like, you know, there might be some support that could be helpful. And how can we best support parents who are going through the experience of raising kids who are on the autism spectrum and might feel just like alone or that they're having, they're struggling in their relationship with their child, or they aren't struggling with their relationship, but they just want other people to be able to see the beauty of this highly connected kid who's just connecting in a way that isn't what maybe that parent expected connection to mean when they first had a a baby. I think that's so important. I think, first of all, I think a lot of the children with autism, their family find that they're not really getting invited on play dates. And I usually tell the parents, start with very short play dates, because sometimes it seems like a lot of work. But this is true, too, of other families. If you know there's a child with autism in your child's class, invite them over. Even if it's like a drive them home, a 15-minute play date, 20-minute, go get an ice cream, whatever, invite them over. Or if you feel like you need some support, invite the family over and just really include them. I think that's really helpful all along so they don't feel isolated. It's also important to support the families. They report that they it's hard for them to find babysitters because they worry so much that their kids can't report if they don't like the babysitter, if they have communication difficulties, or they don't know if their babysitter is going to support the children in the way that they do, or just let them you know, sit in front of a screen for four hours and things. So I always say, you know, if you have time to just go over and say, let me give you the night out once a week, or if you're a family member, help support that family like that. Or if at the university, we usually try to make lists of undergrads that have had some experience that will go there and really support the children and help them communicate and help them. So the parents, when they go out, feel like, oh, they're getting some good, you know, support there. And then Finally, just looking at the strengths. I mean, every child has weaknesses and strengths, every child. (laughs) And looking at if you see little things are so important. If the child says up and they're learning their first words, rejoice with the parents. It may not seem like a 
two or three-year-old saying up is that big of a deal if you have a child that's not having any challenges developing language. But for a parent with autism, every little thing like that is so meaningful. And those need, we need to rejoice with the parents and know that they can do that. And, and then they help them find those strengths so they can do that more often. So is the, I love that. I just love the idea that we can get to a place in the world where we, that we don't whisper autism. Yes. Because I think that's part of the social challenge for adults supporting other adults even is just being afraid to acknowledge that, the, that their child has an autism diagnosis. And so then we're afraid to acknowledge there's a difference. And then we're afraid to say, hey, how can I be helpful? Or how should I try to communicate with your child? How could I help Billy communicate with your child so that they can have a great 15-minute play date? And is there anything I could or should look out for, like, so that I can preemptively say to Billy, hey, sometimes this happens. And that's not, that's just part of I can't think of the pretend name of this other child, but let's say this other child is Timmy and Timmy has an autism diagnosis and maybe we can share with Billy, hey, here's what to expect in this short play date. And here are some things that might seem startling or different, but they're also something we expect. And so we can better learn how to engage and not get so afraid because I think that is what builds the distance between families. I think that is such an important point that you make because we know from the literature that having a baby, whatever happens, that it raises some sort of anxiety in parents and they feel a little stressed because it is a huge change in lifestyle. But unfortunately, having a child with autism, we see stress levels go way far up above what you would want, far higher than any other type of disability. And I think it's so important that, that, like you said, that we, the parents shouldn't have to feel like that. We've all had stress in our life and we know what an awful feeling that is. Even if you have it for a week or two or a month, it's horrible. And thinking that these poor families have to feel that way for their rest of their lives is just so sad. So coming together, supporting them, like you said, we shouldn't have to whisper the word and be scared. I see so many young parents that have newborn children that are so worried that they're going to have autism. And we should really point out the strengths and how many people have autism that have done so well. And what really, what the, basically the strengths that they have so parents don't have to worry about that and the support, giving them support so they know even if they have some significant language delays or social difficulties, there's, we're there to support them and they can get better. Give them the right and constant intervention so they can get better. And just moving on to another um, point that you made is having these play dates and getting together. If we look for strengths of the children with autism, like ask them, what's their favorite thing to do? So for example, if they like toys that have lights, getting a lot of toys that have lights. And we try to do this through the lifespan. So at school, we try to make lunch clubs around their strengths. If they like Pokemon or they like drawing or they like ball, basketballs or whatever the activity, even in college, there's a lot of clubs available. So we're always trying to get them to join those clubs around their interests. So really looking at what are their interests and preferences and having those available and if they like, you know, the waters, have them over, you know, for 
to go to the lake or the beach or the swimming pool. So really just trying to find out what's going to bring out the best in the child. I I don't want to end our conversation before clarifying certain myths with this big idea of autism. Well, one of the things that I think is the very biggest myth is that they're not social. So parents report even children that are non that don't ever develop spoken language they have a very special connection with them so for the most part there is a special connection a lot of the kids recognize their parents and recognize people and have a very close relationship and as i mentioned earlier they the verbal adults with autism and verbal adolescents and adults and children report they want friends. They love having friends. It's really important to them. So I think even though it is a social communication challenge, you know, difference, they it's not that they don't want friends. They just need more support in that area. And so we that's one big challenge. I think that's so important. That's such a big myth. And then um, I think another thing that it it came up a long time ago, I think, when I first started in the field where people kind of didn't think they could make much progress. And unfortunately, I think it's coming up a little bit now where some people are running around saying, oh, nothing works. But they look at these big randomized clinical trials. I I just feel like it's so important that children can learn things. And if they're not learning things, it's probably because we're not teaching them in the right way. And if we tweak it and we find ways to motivate the kids and how to use their strengths and preferences and reward their attempts and things like that, I think we see great progress in the kids. So I think it's just a big myth that kids aren't going to improve because I think many kids improve really a lot with the right kinds of support. So I think instead of looking about at what the kids aren't doing, I think we need to look at how we're teaching them and if it's a way that they're really learning. And if it isn't, switching that up. Isn't that just true in so many different areas that we're finally coming to terms with? Yeah, it's actually true for all kids, I think. Please note that this episode may contain paid endorsements and advertisements for products and services. Individuals on the show may have a direct or indirect financial interest in products or services referred to in this episode.